Monday and hello once again Cougar Nation. Welcome back inside the BYU Broadcasting Building in Provo, Utah. Inside our new digs is Studio B for our latest edition of the Coordinator's Corner presented by JCW's The Burger Boys. Coming up on today's show, we'll look back on Saturday night's benchmark win over Baylor, a 26-20 decision in double overtime that improves BYU to 2-0 for a third straight season and bumps the Cougs up in the polls, 12th in the AP, 14th in the coaches, now, after beating the ninth-ranked Bears, Cougs get another ranked team, number 25, Oregon, this upcoming Saturday in Eugene. Today, we are chatting with offensive coordinator Aaron Roderick and special teams coordinator Ed Lamb. And let's kick off today's broadcast by hitting the offensive side of the ball with BYU's OC and QB coach Aaron Roderick. Coach Aaron Roderick, good to see you once again. Good to be here. All right, uh, 2-0 start for BYU for a third straight season. It's got me thinking, well, how frequent is that? How unusual is that? Turns out it's happened only one other time. In BYU football history, 1965, 66, and 67 were three 2-0 starts. That's it until the current run. That kind of surprised me. Yeah, I had no idea about that. But, um, yeah, it's good to get off to a good start. And we've got a lot of tough games ahead of us, but it feels good to be where we're at, you know. All right, what did you hope to do better against Baylor one year later? What worked and what was still a challenge for you? Well, we hoped to be able to run the ball better, and we really weren't. <laughs> That's uh, it's probably as good a defensive front as I've coached against in 10, 12 years. Really? Yeah. That's a very good defensive front. We've had we've had our struggles with those guys. They're just they're big and they're physical and they're very good at what they do, and um, very well coached. So we didn't run the ball as well as I had hoped. It was a little better than last year, um, but we made enough plays, uh, you know, to, to find a way to win. And the biggest thing was we didn't turn the ball over this year. Well, last year we didn't run it well, but we had, we had two critical turnovers in that game that cost us a chance to get points. Both of them were in striking range, you know, near the red zone, just outside the red zone. And um, this year we took good care of the football, which gave us a chance. Did you know what Baylor's streak was of consecutive games with a takeaway coming into your game? I didn't, but I, I don't know what that number is, but I've seen on film that they thrive on turnovers. I mean, they, make, they take the ball away, and then Jeff Grimes' offense is very good at capitalizing, and that's, that's been their, their way of winning. Okay, well, you snapped their 23-game their streak it's with 23? at least one takeaway. Yeah. So that, that, that's how they thrive and they operate on that. Yeah. No question. Coach Aranda has got a good model there, it's, and, and of, of, you know, their plan to win is – is very sound, and Jeff Grimes is the perfect offensive coordinator to capitalize on that type of a, of a program. You know, it's, they play team football like we do, and that's why it was such a great game. So if it's tough to run the football, it was and it is, uh, you'd sure love to be at full strength in your throw game, and you weren't. Yeah. Uh, the storyline leading up to the game was, would you have your top two wide receivers back and for this game, and that's Puka Nakua and Gunnar Romney? The answer was no. Um, let's maybe take it back into the week and, and when you started really prepping for not having them, how close it got, and, and then we can kind of look forward. Well, we had, uh, we had contingency plans both ways from day one, so we were sort of planning, if we have them, this is our plan. If we don't have them, this is our plan. And um, we planned on being in a lot of 12 personnel with our tight ends, maybe even some 13. Mm-hmm. And um, got into the, as the game went on, and we just started finding more success in having three receivers in the game than, than with two tight ends. And so that's one of the cool things about our offense, though, is we can adapt 
throughout the course of a game. And, um, you know, we ended up playing a lot with, with just one tight end and three receivers and found most of our success in that area in this particular game. You know, the next game could be totally different. Right. Now, my, my thought was that if, if, you're, if you're resting Puka for the Baylor game, the hope is that by doing that, then you get him for the Oregon game. With Gunner, I don't know. It's kind of a week-to-week thing yeah. there. So what, what do you think those two guys, their status would be for this week? I'm hopeful for both. And, and again, it's, I'm not at liberty to talk about their injuries in detail, but mm-hmm. I'll just say Gunner's thing really isn't a football injury. It's more just, uh, I don't know what, it's, it's, uh, he's ready to go. We're just waiting for clearance. And then um, Puka, you know, that's, it's going to be a day-to-day thing. Okay, well, hopes are for both. But, again, you can't, you had to, get, you had to game plan without them, and you yeah. did, and, and, uh, and did so successfully. Did you think that Chase would be the feature going in? Thought Chase would be one of the featured guys, and and he played well. Keanu Hill played a good game as well. He was part of part of the game plan, and I uh, thought Braden Cosper had some really critical plays in that game, and so did Cody Epps. Cody Epps had a huge third down conversion. Um, you know, the, there's both, all four of them stepped up, and we don't need any of them to be Puka. We just need them to play well, and and we have enough other weapons at tight end and running back, and obviously we have a good quarterback. So yeah. We can find ways to win with or without those guys, but it's a lot easier with them. Right. Let's get into the game. First drive of the game. Uh, and I, I note this because when uh, under Kalani, when, when you just score on your opening possession, you're 27-5. and five. When you just score first, you're 31-7. and seven. Getting out in front meant a lot to this BYU yeah. team. And it was a really nice first drive for you. It did bog down. You did have to kick a field goal, but you got points to open the game. Yeah, it was a good drive. It was good to get points. You know, we, we'd like to finish better in the red zone there and get a touchdown, but... Um, against a team as good as Baylor, any any points in the first possession is is uh, you know a good start. So, two two games in a row we started off fast. What did you like about uh, drive one in particular? Just the rhythm we were playing with. You know we were playing we were operating quickly, playing good rhythm, and uh, you know Jaron threw some good completions, a good execution outside and in our protection, and um, just yeah the rhythm of the of the. The tempo we were playing with was good. This game was 3-0 for a while. After your first drive, four straight punts. Uh, yeah. You've already talked about how good Baylor's defensive front is. But in general, this is a D that really makes you work hard for yards. And after that first drive, it was a little harder to go. Yeah, that was a tough stretch there. We went four possessions where we were trying to figure some things out. They, they did a good job of taking some things away that we do well. Um, they, they presented us with some things that we hadn't seen, weren't prepared for, and it took us a few possessions to figure it out and um, our de- I thought our defense did a great job of just holding them down and not letting the game get away from right. us while we were trying to solve some of our, some of our issues. It, it was kind of a slugfest uh, really for a while. Was, yeah. it, 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 like, it, was, it was P5 football on both sides of the ball that way. And we were prepared for that. You know, we, we always talk about if, if we're in a shootout, we can win a shootout. But some games are going to be in the 20s or maybe even in the teens and you just got to find a way to score one more point than the other team. And you know, we don't want it to be like that every week, right. but it's going to happen sometimes. And you just this this happened to be one of those types of games. You busted out at the very end of the first half. A really nice drive to end uh, the first half and get you into halftime. Maybe you could take yeah. us through that a little bit. And and what was working for you there that was maybe harder a few drives earlier? Well, the inter- interesting thing about this drive is we started out thinking, okay, the worst thing we could do here is go three and out again, give them the ball back with enough time before the half to score on us. So we ran the ball in the first play. Uh, and then we made some yards, and so then we decided, okay, pedal down, let's go two minutes. So we just, this was just our two-minute offense, and uh, the game just kind of opened up, and then that, that touchdown pass there was 
uh, you know, great throw and catch, unbelievable catch, and a per perfect throw. Yeah, more on that play. Uh, Chase Roberts, uh, the, the catch, the footwork, the where the ball was placed. I mean, that's that that, that yeah. the, the the margin is as thin as it could possibly be for success on that play, and it was just perfect. Yeah, and we you know we practiced that a lot, and Jaron spent the whole offseason working on throwing the deep ball. Uh, better and with more accuracy, and then um, that that call, we're, we're throwing it at the back pylon and trying to keep our feet in and give, give the quarterback enough room to drop it in and then get your feet down. I thought the guys did a great job executing it. Is that the kind of thing, like when you see Chase make that catch, you go, well, that's Chase? Is, is that just kind of who he is? Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. He does it every day in practice, and he's, he's been doing it since he got here, and just the fans haven't had a chance to see it yet because, you know, this is his first real opportunity to show it. His high school season, his last high school season at American Fork, I think was 2018, so it's been a while for him. Yeah, it has, and, you know, I, I always tease him that the mission was hard on him. You know, <laughs> some guys come home from their missions in great shape, looking good, and other guys need more time, and he took a minute to get back in shape. He was, you know, he was not, uh, it, it took him a while. And so last season, he got a little banged up, had a couple nagging injuries, um, things that I just thought were just due to the mission, and now, He's done a great job getting himself in shape and ready to play this year. Well, you were leading 10 to 6 at halftime after that touchdown, and uh, you're now BYU under Kalani's 38 and 5, 12 straight wins when just leading at the break. It was a real nice shot in the arm for you guys, wasn't it? It was because that was it was tough sledding there, four possessions in a row, and then to get that touchdown really just gave us some energy and felt good to go in the half that way. All right, break time. As we step away, we remind you that BYU football with Kalani Sitake airs tomorrow night and every Tuesday night, 6.30 Mountain Time on the BYU TV app. We have a live studio audience. Just hit the seat request link you can find on my Twitter feed. We'll see you over in Studio C tomorrow night. Coming up after this break, how BYU won a back-and-forth affair with Baylor that ended after midnight in double overtime. This is the Coordinator's Corner brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys. Back after this. Trips left, wide receiver screen, a double throw, back to Hall, makes the catch, 15-10, 5, the dive, the touchdown! All right, to BYU winning its home opener for an eighth time in the last 11 tries two nights ago at a sold-out Lavelle Edwards Stadium, 26-20 over Baylor. In a preview of a Big 12 conference clashes to come, Coordinator's Corner continues now with BYU offensive coordinator and QB coach Aaron Roderick. We left off our discussion with BYU leading Baylor at 10-6 at halftime, but before we get back into the game, it was as loud and electric uh, as I've ever heard Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Uh, sea of Royal Blue, which looked amazing, by the way, as well. Uh, we had a similar view in the press box. Uh, what an incredible showcase it was on Saturday night. It was, and I feel like we, we keep saying, you know, the crowd, this was the greatest environment ever, <laughs> Lavelle Edwards Stadium, and then the next game, it happens again. It happened multiple times last year, Utah, Arizona State, and there's some big games, and then um, the crowd was a huge factor in the game, no question. BYU is now saying no matter what the uniform combination is, wear royal blue as a default, you'll always be good. And it really popped on Saturday. You're focused on other things, I get it. But when you could take a second and just kind of take it in, it looked amazing. Yeah, I didn't I didn't really notice the royal blue, but I, I did notice just the noise and the fact, the, the impact that it had on the opponent. Uh, uh, you know, some of those false start penalties yeah. are very uncharacteristic of a Jeff Grimes coached offense. And, you just have to give the crowd the credit for that. Yeah, the ASU game last year, 16 yeah. penalties, five false starts. This one, 14 Baylor penalties, four false starts. Kind of a similar vibe that way. Yeah, it, it, we, it's a great home field advantage, and we hope that everybody will keep coming and, 
and uh, making lots of noise. Okay, how important was the outcome uh, as it was a Big 12 sneak peek? And this is going to be kind of setting, I mean, setting a tone in a way for what's to come for you guys in this league. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, it is a measuring stick. They're a good team. They're one of the best teams in the Big 12. They were the best team last year, and I think they'll be one of the best this year, if not the best. Um, so it's nice to get a win, but it's still a little bit humbling of that, you know, you can expect that type of physicality and competition every game when you're in that league. And when you think of it in those terms, you realize yeah. we, we got to keep working. We, we need to keep getting better, keep getting bigger and faster and stronger because, you know, uh, eight or nine of those games could really add up. I hear you. Let's get back into the game. First two drives of the second half for you. Two scores. Uh, first possession was your long drive of the season in terms of number of plays, 13 plays. The drive ended at the Baylor 21. Kicked a field goal, tied the game at 13 at the time. But I want to go in that drive. Um, there was a key play, a fourth and one from your own 34 pretty early in the possession. Yeah. In a game you're trailing. Mindset there. Just the, you know, the analytics there say you should go. And... Um... If, if you don't convert, you're giving them the ball in good field position. But we still had, on average, 4.6 possessions left in that game is what the stats tell you. You're going okay. so to get four or five more chances to answer if they score. But the odds of us getting that one yard are really high. And so it's worth it. It's worth it to go for it there. And that's, that's what we did. We had a lot of confidence in that play that we could get one yard. And... Um, even though we were struggling to run the ball, we, we thought we had a play that could get us a yard, and, and it did. But it was a drive that ends in points. Yeah, and so, again, playing the, you know, following the numbers there. I know some people don't like, like, the, like the term analytics, but that's, I love it. that's what we're doing there is we're, we're following yeah. what the numbers tell us to do. Okay, uh, it was a tie game at 13. Then you go on a five-play, 54-yard drive. Uh, Kalani told us in the postgame that he heard you and Fessy talking on the headset about double pass, and yeah. you pulled it out on a second and eight at the Baylor 22. Yeah, I told Fessy, uh, I said, I think it's there. I think it's ready, but I'm going to need you to encourage me to do it because it's a, it's a <laughs> gutsy call, and they're going to boo me if it doesn't work. And so when we got, when we got there, Fessy said, Rob, let's do it. It's, it's time. And so uh, he, he gave me the nudge that I, that I needed to, to call it, and I thankful that Fessy did that. We, we've been practicing this play. We had it in, I think, for 12 weeks last season. Um, but it has to be on the right hash mark, first and 10, or second and short, um, between the 20 and the 35. That, and those are the parameters. And that, that situation just never happened last year at the right time. And this, this game had happened, and we were ready for the play. Second and eight was short enough for you? Yeah, it was. It was uh, that, that was the parameters last year I met. Okay. And so this year we felt like this game, it's there. Let's, let's do it. And so we just decided to go for it. You had a freshman throwing the ball, by yeah, the way. Yeah, but he did a good job with it in practice. Um, and just I, that was another factor in the play was just Chase was playing really well. And so I had a lot of confidence that he could execute his part of the play. Mm. And their defense is so – they pursue. They run to the ball so fast that I thought, okay, if we can just – complete the first one, they're going to pursue, and we'll have a chance to get this thing going. Had to be blocked well on the throw side. Had to be really blocked well on the run side. I talk about a sea of royal blue in the stands. There was a sea of royal blue in front of Jaron Hall. Yeah, and they all got blocks. That's the other thing. Sometimes those big guys get out in space and don't block anyone, but Clark Barrington got a block right here uh, behind the ball, and then Harris Lachance got out in front and got a block downfield. And then um, Kingsley was going to make a block, but they cut his legs out from under him, right. which, which should have been a penalty because they called our defense twice. twice. 
And I thought, well, maybe they're saying he's actually going for the ball carry and he hits Kingsley, but in the process, Perhaps. yeah, he did, he did cut him out either way. Perhaps, yeah. But, uh, yeah, all those guys found blocks and helped Jaron get in the end zone. Good stuff. High game. It was tied at 20. Uh, and you got the ball with 208 to play in regulation. And you moved it 72 yards in 11 plays over exactly two minutes. You got everything you wanted, basically, except the kick to win it in regulation. Um, let's go into that drive a little bit and, and how, you, how you operated it at the very end before you had a chance to kick it. Yeah, so at the end, um, we got down there. We, we ran the ball on first and 10. With Lopini, right? Yeah. Um, Jake likes the ball on the left hash. He, he, that's his, he wants to kick field goals from the left. Middle is his second favorite. Right hash is his least favorite. So we wanted to keep the ball on the left hash, so we purposely ran it left. Okay. And then knowing that they were going to call timeout. So they called timeout. And then the next two plays here, uh, this is a play we call launch, which just means we just roll to our right and launch it to the tuba player. I mean, that's, the, that's really all you're doing is just throwing the ball out of bounds. The idea here is don't turn the ball over and burn as much clock as you can. So we burned five seconds on each of these plays, 10 seconds total. With the ball being in the air. With the ball being in the air and, and no risk of a turnover. Where if you run it, you can run it and then clock the ball or you can run it and hope they call timeout. Mm -hmm. But you run the risk of fumbling. I mean, they're, they're gonna have 11 guys going after the ball uh, and there's just no reason. We're already well in Jake's range. We're on the hash he wants it on. We don't want to have any risk of turning it over, so it's safer just to snap it to Jaron, throw it in the bleachers, do it twice, burn 10 seconds. So unfortunately, we missed the kick, but had we made it, Baylor had eight seconds right. left with 80 yards to go and not even enough time to use two timeouts, so the timeouts were useless anyway. So I thought as a staff and as a team, the players executed that. We practiced that every week. And it doesn't come up very often. It comes up once every four or five years. Came up. And it came up in this game. And I thought the team did a great job of handling it. And, um, you know, we did everything right. We just unfortunately the yeah. kick didn't go. But that's okay. We'll get it next time. Yeah. Safe, time-consuming plays that, did, that, that accomplished the end you wanted to. So but you yeah. get to an overtime. It's your first overtime game as BYU's OC. And you took the ball needing only a field goal to win in the first OT because uh, they'd already yeah. missed theirs. So what is your mindset with play calls when you know all you need is three? Same thing, protect the ball. We want to make some yards, but we do not want to put the ball at risk because, again, we have a lot of belief in our kicker. He's been a good kicker for us. And so we wanted to make some yards but protect the football. And then we wanted to be in the middle or left hash. And we ended up, we ended up being in the middle, I think middle at yeah. about the 19-yard line or 20-yard line, right, right, right around there. And... Um, that was that was just the idea, just play it smart and uh, yeah. Okay, so it took us took us to a second overtime. Uh, you scored the only TD of the overtime. The key play was a reception by Keanu Hill, which set you up first and goal. Yeah, and that was a play. It was actually a repeat of a play we ran in the first drive. Keanu caught the same pass in the first drive, and I was. A, it's a good play, but I was a little concerned that it might not work again. <laughs> um, but it, it did, and Keanu and Jaron made a. Great what concerned you? Well, just, you know, sometimes it's, it's, a, it's a play they've seen once before. It's a unique-looking play, mm -hmm. and maybe, you know, you just thought maybe they, they would, you know, remember it. And it was on the same side of the field against the same defenders. Okay. But, um, but it worked. Makes a nice catch, by the way, too. Yeah, good and throw. And good footwork. Good throw and catch, and then we went fast tempo, two run plays in a row, and got it in the end zone. Uh, so even though it had been tough sledding all night, we ran two quick run plays uh, at fast pace where they, they weren't lined up and we got the ball across the goal line. And one thing about Peeney is he has a nose for the end zone. That was career touchdown number 26 for him, by the way, the touchdown he scores in overtime. He does have a, a good knack for that. Okay, a two-point play. Uh, penalty half the distance to you, so it was a yard and a half. 
Yeah, um, I, I still like the play. The, the, the first play we ran, we got the penalty. This play um, didn't turn out the way we had hoped, and throwing to Isaac here was was probably not the, uh, Jaron's best play of the game. We had a, we had a, another option on the play where wish wish we would have gone there, but. Um, uh, Credit to them, they, okay. they, they got us. So at that point, it's a six point lead and now all you can do is watch Coach Tuiaki's defense try to win you the game in, in double overtime. Yeah, and I just wanna say our defense did a great job all night, uh, but for Baylor to have the ball first and goal at the five and us to not give up any points was pretty awesome. And so just hats off to our defense. They played an awesome game and really, really uh, hung in there all night. It was amazing. Baylor got the ball at the 25. I think they ended up snapping 11 plays before that fourth down play at the very, very end. Like, like they had to work to move the ball against the defense. Yeah, that was a long overtime. Yeah. <laughs> uh, your, what, your thoughts on the fourth, uh, fourth down play uh, on, de on, on defense, BYU had on defense? Just, uh, you know, our, our coverage all night was outstanding. And I think that's one thing that people don't realize how skilled we are in the secondary and at linebacker. We have a lot of speed back there and playing a lot of man coverage, a lot of, a lot of different combinations of zones, and there's a lot of good athletes back there that are long levered, and it's, there's not a lot of open windows. We saw you uh, on social media, we saw you presenting a game ball to Coach Tuiaki in the postgame locker room. Yeah, I just felt like uh, he deserved it, and the, the defense really, you know, we, we did enough things, good things on offense to win the game, but I felt like the defense really uh, you know, kept us in it, especially when we had those four straight three and outs. They just kept kept the game tight and, until we could figure figure out our uh, issues on offense. And Coach, he broke it down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you had the opportunity yet? Um, I have not this year, but um, okay. I usually I try to be the first one out the door. Or <laughs> I avoid it. <laughs> so chances of, of of you on dance videos pretty pretty low. Pretty low. Yeah. Okay. Uh, offensive MVP from uh, Saturday night. Yeah, I thought it was Chase, on, uh, without question. You know, he stood out. Um, he played really well. And then just, you know, in, in the circumstances of not having Puka or Gunner on the field um, to sort of balance things out, I thought he, you know, he had a, a great night, graded really highly, and ma made, uh, made some huge plays, and then had the, you know, the touchdown pass. Yeah. Pretty cool. I mean, can't have a much better night. Offensive, yeah. offensive MVP is Chase Roberts. Fantastic. All right, time for a break. We come back as we take this time out. A reminder that dinner after the game at JCW's includes something for everybody, from burgers to wings, shakes to salads, JCW's quality, and a lot of it in Lehigh, American Fork, Provo, South Jordan, and Harriman. Well, this weekend, 12th-ranked BYU playing at 25th-ranked Oregon, BYU's first trip to Austin in 32 years. Listen to Cougar Pregame Live on BYU Radio, 1.30 Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Mountain Time this Saturday. Coming up next... Quick look ahead to the Cougars and the Ducks with Aaron Roderick as the coordinator's corner continues. It's brought to you by JCW's, the Burger Boys, back right after this. Dylan Doyle is the fullback. They'll play fake it. Deep drop for Shapin. Chased and goes down back in midfield. Lorenzo Fawatea tracked down Shapin from behind. You are in the coordinator's corner, brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys, visiting with BYU OC Aaron Roderick after BYU's 26-20 double overtime win over then at ninth-ranked Baylor. It was BYU's first home win over a top-10 team in 32 years. All right, uh, week one in Tampa, Jaron Hall, new career high in completions. He had 25. Uh, week two, 
career high in attempts with 39. He's completing two-thirds of his passes uh, with three TDs and a pick through two games. Uh, how's Jaron grading out through, for you through games one and two? He's playing really well. That several of his inter, of his uh, incompletions the other night were throwaways, right. or you know we had the two plays that were the launch plays. out of bounds yeah. on purpose. Um, so really, his completion percentage could have been quite a bit better. Um, but one of the things I love about Jaron is he's not worried about his stats. You know, he's making the right play. If 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 there's nothing there, he'll throw it away, and he's not thinking about his completion percentage or or you know what his numbers are going to be. He's he wants to make the right football play every snap. How about uh, the way you're using him right now in the run game? Uh, are you being judicious right now? Is it by design? Is it? Yeah, trying to be. The other night we we had to run him a little bit because we were struggling with our conventional run game, so we called a few QB draws. Uh, most of those have RPOs attached to them, so he can throw a completion if it's there. But he, he you know, he had to run a little bit and and uh, got you know he's going to get hit a little bit, but he's he's ready for this, and I I believe that we can keep him. You know, we'll we'll keep being as smart as we can. At BYU at Oregon this Saturday, first game at Austin since 1990. We were talking off the air. You've been there a few times with uh, with Utah. Um, the experience there? Very challenging place to play. I would compare it a lot to our stadium. I mean, it's uh, it's hostile. It's loud. Um, crowd noise is is a factor for the visitor there, and. Um, there's a reason why they have such a good home record. Uh, it's not an easy place to play at all. They're 1-1 one one right now, uh, ranked 25th, but without an FBS win yet this year. They, they lost to Georgia in their opener and then beat an, an FCS team, EWU, Eastern Washington in Week 2. What do you think you know about them? Yeah, I don't read too much into that first, that first game. I mean, Georgia can do that to a lot of teams. Mm -hmm. And also, it's their first game under new staff on the road. I mean, there, there's a lot of factors there that you can't. You can't read too much in that. I know Oregon has a very good roster of uh, highly recruited players, you know, a lot of speed, a lot of length. And, um, you know, I think that, that second game is more like what we're going to see. Okay. Well, good luck in the Oregon prep, and we'll have you off next week. We'll see you back here in two weeks. Thanks. All right, that is Coach Aaron Roderick. Thanks. Get expanded pregame coverage of BYU's Saturday showdown in Eugene with BYU Sports Nation game day starting at 1.30 Eastern this Saturday. Coming up next, we'll hear from BYU's special teams coordinator, Ed Lamb. This is the Coordinator's Corner brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys. Coordinator's Corner brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys. BYU 2-0, ranked 12th and 14th in the two major polls after a 26-20 double overtime win over previously ninth-ranked Baylor on the weekend. Cougs 2-0 in three straight seasons for the first time since the 1965, 66, and 67 seasons. This weekend, BYU plays at Oregon. The Ducks ranked 25th and 24th in the AP and the coaches poll. Second half of today's show begins now as we welcome in BYU's special teams coordinator, safeties coach, and assistant head coach Ed Lamb. Coach Lamb, welcome back. Thanks, Greg. First day in the new digs. Two thumbs up from you. What do you think? Looks very nice. I see the Burger Boys behind us. Good stuff. We're going to keep Kalani in Studio C with the crowd tomorrow night, but we're going to be in Studio B from here on out, and it does look good. All right. Um, I want to get to Saturday night and less about the game for a second and more about the environment, because I was uh, catching some of Dave Aranda's comments this morning at his Monday press conference, and he mentioned how he thought he saw some big eyes among his guys in the huddles on the sideline in the midst of that atmosphere on, on Saturday night. It was sold out, and it was loud, and it was royal blue, and it was electric. It was, and it's coordinated. You know, that's the thing that, that uh, I really get about BYU's fans, the impression that I have. 
And it's changed in, in a couple of decades. You know, we've always had great fan support in numbers, but to see how intelligent our fans are and the way they rise to the occasion on third downs and the student section gets even louder when the opponent gets in that area. You know, I thought last year, those our early season games against Utah and Arizona State set the tone and uh, they know what they're doing and they do it well. And they're, they're, they are really are the 12th man. And so you're sensing that, that, that the crowds are having a competitive impact in the game, maybe at times. They are. I yeah. think there's an intelligence level there. And there's, there's um, there obviously people are paying attention to the game, not just showing up and partying mm-hmm. and, and having conversations. Let's start at the end and work our way back then. Let's begin maybe with the field storm. Uh, how long did it take you to get to the locker room? And what were those minutes like on the field after the game? I weaved through it there pretty quick. I was there before the equipment staff opened it, so I had to wait at the locked door while everybody was celebrating. So you got there quick? Yeah, my, I mean, as soon as we win, it's relief, and it's straight into the locker room for, uh, to, I was watching Oregon yeah. on, on my iPad while the, everybody else was outside celebrating. I know that, that once that crowd really, really grew, there were still a lot of uh, players, obviously, in the mix. It took a while for the players to get there, I'd imagine, afterward. Oh, yeah, I think, I think yeah, different people enjoy it to different levels, but on that last pass that sailed out of the end zone Mm -hmm. I think before the ball hit the ground there were fans over the wall it shows up on film all right the rematch it was a rematch with Baylor Um, what did last year's game last year's game uh, say about um, the two programs at that point and and what did Saturday's rematch maybe indicate as a result or a response in any way do you think well I'm it's, an, it's a really interesting question because everybody told our players and coaches what last year's game meant, the loss. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure that we need to be in the business of figuring out what other people think. But What did you uh, think it meant at that time? I thought we lost uh, to a better team on that day. I didn't think they were a better team on the season. I didn't think that we were unprepared to play in the Big 12. I certainly don't think that our players and recruiting classes are not good enough to compete in the Big 12. I didn't think that last year. I don't think that this year. I think nobody, you know, somebody forgot to tell our players that they're not supposed to be competitive against Power Five, five opponents because they've been pretty, pretty good. And uh, and yet the game of football teaches lessons if we're there to listen. And there were some lessons to learn last year. We didn't play physical enough. We didn't play big enough. We didn't stop the run well enough. And uh, and there are lessons in in victories too. And so we we you know we we don't want to be. Uh, we don't want to allow this great victory over Baylor to leak into our preparation for a great Oregon team this week. It's a completely different and new challenge. Well, some of those lessons, though, that you just mentioned that maybe were learned in Waco last year were indeed applied in, in, in the rematch. Uh, Baylor was almost uh, half of its yards per play production from the previous season. I mean, they were at 7.1, I think, in Waco. I think around 3.6 yards per play on Saturday. That's right. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I think it starts with our players, their off-season preparation. I think it starts with a feeling of humility going into the game because of what happened last year. I think, uh, you know, from a defensive perspective, Lysa Tuiaki called a great game. He was really on point and uh, understood you know, how to get uh, Baylor behind the chains a little bit at times and behind their schedule, and that's a big part of their offense, the way they operate. And, and in the end, the players execute it. Good players make good coaches. Uh, the Big 12 preview component, um, Baylor knowing that, you know, this was the last time they'll see BYU before they see him in a conference setting. Was it important that way too? Maybe not even important, but it, do, do you see um, some resonance there with the fact that this was kind of a preview of what will be a year-to-year, game-to-game type thing week-to-week? Sure, that's going to be, uh, you know, they're going to they're have that memory in their mind. They're going to want that 
you know, revenge or, or redemption or just, a, you know, a, they've got a level of humility now, um, you know, when they face us. And so it'll be a, a real back and forth challenge and hopefully a great rivalry going forward. Okay, to the game itself, and the first drives in each of BYU's first two games this year have resulted in points offensively. Touchdown at USF and a field goal versus Baylor. And BYU under Kalani, as I mentioned with A-Rod, is now 31-7 and when they score first, 27-5 and when you score on the opening drive, and a seven-game win streak now for BYU and just scoring on that first possession. That's such a big, uh, you know, for the, for the defense to be able to, to sit there on the sideline and kind of get up, we, we have our defense get up on every third down conversion and just kind of see what, uh, what, the, what the next situation is going to be and, and take inventory. And the whole team rallies around that first drive that the offense makes. It's an it's a, it's a initial statement about our readiness, our preparedness. And uh, you know, I thought, uh, again, outstanding job by the offense and, and Jake to, uh, to finish it off. After the opening score, we saw four straight punts for BYU and four straight punts for Baylor. Those who appreciate hard-hitting uh, football saw two good defenses asserting themselves early. That's right, and we, we had our backs to, to the wall there. The field position was in their favor, and they were, yeah, there were three and outs going back and forth or at least very short drives, and we kept coming deep out of our territory, and we weren't able to flip the field. We were punting. Uh, well, but not not at our best, and, and we just weren't able to take advantage of a well, weren't able to, to flip it. I would say weren't able to take an advantage in that situation. So it was huge for the defense to come up with stop after stop in that situation when really it was disadvantage us as far as field position. Arod said a few moments ago that it might be the best defensive front that he's ever coached against. But that's how good Baylor was and is in the run game, especially. Yeah, absolutely. He, he may have may have mentioned, but uh, several other defensive linemen were were two gapping, which is like. It should be impossible, uh, but they were doing a really good job at it and uh, causing some havoc up there with, with three and four man fronts. And it, was, it was really difficult, tough sledding. BYU last season against BYU, uh, Baylor last season against BYU in Waco kind of ran rampant. They had more than 300 rushing yards last year. And, and there are some new ball carriers. They're trying to find some new playmakers, but uh, BYU held Baylor to under, under three yards per carry on Saturday. And, and their OC, Jeff Grimes, he was not going to stop running the rock. He ran it 52 times. He, yeah. he kept he kept trying to find a weakness or a way to get through this run defense. Yeah, that, that's where it all starts with with them is, is uh, rushing the ball efficiently, effectively, and uh, the yardage just tends to pile up for them no matter who that they play. And then and then the defensive coordinator has to commit enough guys to the run to, to stop it, and that's when a lot of the what, what we call easy completions or available underneath yardage completions take place. And you got to credit our players with, with making uh, Tuiaki's plan work because we were able to not overcommit to the run. We were able to commit an appropriate amount of guys to the run, and, and at times we left our defensive backs in, on islands, and, and they were up for the challenge. BYU trailed in this game 6-3 to three until the final offensive possession of the first half, and then Chase Roberts made a remarkable catch uh, to give BYU the halftime lead, which is another big indicator for Coach, uh, Coach Sitake's teams when leading at the break. Uh, Chase made a great catch. A great catch, and what a finish to a, a great drive. I mean, the, the, the flavor of the game at that point, the momentum was all Baylor, and uh, they, had, they had just scored their first touchdown mm -hmm. and a half with, with uh, under two minutes to go, but it just seemed like, I'm sure to a lot of people, you know, maybe even on our sideline too, it just seemed like, uh-oh, this, this low-scoring game, we, they just took the lead in, and, and it's a huge advantage. And for the offense to march it right down like that, and then tremendous execution on the, on the toe-drag catch by Chase. A huge momentum boost going into the locker room. Yeah, huge shot in the arm at that point, no doubt. All right, let's take a break. As we step aside, we remind you to watch After Further Review tomorrow, 7 Eastern on the BYU TV app with Dave McCann, Blaine Fowler, and David Nixon. When we come back, 
More with special teams coordinator, safeties coach, and assistant head coach Ed Lamb. As the coordinator's corner continues, we are brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys. We are back with more right after this. Jones, left hip of Shapen, shotgun. He might be dropping out of it. Three wide receivers right, single wide left. Settling in the pocket is Shapen. He throws for the back of the end zone. It's incomplete! It's over the back line! And the Cougars win it in double overtime. And here come the fans at a sold-out Lavelle Edwards Stadium for the first time in 32 years. BYU defeats a top 10 team on the turf of Lavelle Edwards Stadium. All right, we are back on the coordinator's corner, visiting with BYU special teams coordinator, safeties coach, and assistant head coach Ed Lamb, looking back on BYU's home win over Baylor and ahead to a road tilt at Oregon this Saturday. Well, uh, BYU went into the Baylor game uh, missing two players who accounted for almost 250 receiving yards last season in Waco. No Puka Nakua, no Gunnar Romney. But BYU has a deep receiver's room and offensive coaches that, uh, well, I know you certainly believe in. Uh, what a great response, uh, but down two of your top weapons uh, on this team against a legitimately great defense. Uh, yeah, yes, we were. And uh, what a, like you said, what a great response, not just by Chase, but there were a lot of receivers that stepped up. In fact, they stepped up the week before without, without, we had, were without Puka for most of that USF game. And no gunner. And no gunner at all. So I think they were prepared mentally. They had some reps under their belt and uh, they knew the challenge at hand and a great statement uh, to the rest of the team that they were ready to go and delivered. Yeah, and, and it has to kind of, uh, I don't know, bolster the team's sense of accomplishment too, knowing that, yeah, that we weren't full speed, and yeah, that was a top 10 team that came in here, and yet we found a way. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the, the a, a heart of a team is is the top 20 players or so, the guys that get all the media and accolades and all that stuff. But but really, the uh, the strength of a team is sometimes the bottom one-third, the guys that aren't playing a lot in games. And for those guys to see backups step in and make the most of their opportunity, I think just raises the whole competitive mm -hmm. level of the whole team. Baylor entered the game having recorded at least one takeaway in 23 consecutive games. That streak ended Saturday night. Meantime, Sitaka era BYU is now 23-1 and when you don't give the ball away, and BYU didn't give it away once on Saturday night. Yeah, that's, a, that's a remarkable stat. Not so much, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious it's a huge advantage not to turn it over, but to have that many games without a turn. Where you're, where you're clean. That's yeah. right. That's, a, that's a, a, an emphasis from the head coach right on down, um, the, the offensive position coaches, the coordinator, and calling plays that, uh, that are about efficiency and not just uh, spreading the ball around everywhere it can go. Back to Saturday's game. You're up 10-6 at halftime, uh, then trailing 13-10 in the third. The drive that ties the game for BYU features a fourth down go for it at the BYU 34-yard line. It was fourth and one. Chris Brooks got you two. Uh, can you take us maybe inside the headset conversation you were hearing uh, uh, ahead of that play? Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a decision that's made. Um, typically early in the week and then confirmed um, on Friday night, uh, you know, Coach Sitake, myself, Coach Roddick will talk about what do we, what do we have and what do we like in, in one-yard situations. Because the, the uh, one-yard situation is one where national average is 85%. You should go for it all the time on fourth and one, but that doesn't mean, uh, that doesn't literally mean all the time. I mean, you can, have a, you can have a center or a guard who just went out. You can have a quarterback exchange problem. You can have... Uh, you can be on your second or third running back. I mean, there's just there's always a situation that you want to account for where maybe you don't go for it on fourth and one. We felt good about it going in, pulled the trigger on it, and uh, the boys delivered. 
ends up being a drive in which you get points in the end in a 2020 game every point's valuable um, there's also value keeping plays in front of you defensively Baylor's long play of the night was 19 yards long run was 13 yards you know coach Grimes focuses a ton on explosives and there were none on Saturday night yeah and and that typically is going to start with the defensive backs not giving up a, a big one over the top that's the easiest way to get a big one um, and secondly, it's, it's having 11 guys running through the football with the understanding of the angle that they should, should maintain. Typically, big plays in the run game or yards after catch happen after a cutback. And so we had some guys take some pretty good angles. And then we had some guys just make some amazing super superhuman type Superman efforts <laughs> where they just laid out and, and got the ball carrier before they were able to get out in the open field. So a lot of different aspects there in, in order to keep an explosive team like that from getting too many long yardage plays. And through two games... BYU's allowed only three scrimmage plays of 20 yards or more. That's a, that's a very low number and one that keeps you in a lot of games that way. Yeah, that's yeah. that's one that we we work on, we talk about. At times we call the game that way um, and, and kind of uh, as coaches take some pride in like, okay, we keep the ball in front of us. We're not overly aggressive. We were very aggressive with our play calling on Saturday night. And so you got to give credit to the boys and the way that they played to, to keep that offense from going uh, too explosive on us. All right, BYU took a 20-13 lead late in the third quarter on a beautifully designed and blocked double pass play. Again, in your coaching oversight role, you can kind of get a bit of everything on the headset. How was that build up uh, to that play? Because I got it from A-Rod and Fessy a little bit, and maybe your thoughts on that. Yeah, that, that, they, I don't know if they told you. I don't want to give anything away, but uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of times in, in those situations, it's kind of like the, the code word for us is uh, something, something is going to happen here. Not, not necessarily positive. But something big is going to happen for one team or the other in this situation. And, uh, and you know, you have to be choosy about those situations. They have to be well-designed and well-executed. And, and what a great way to that it was the goal line there. And, again, I think the fact that you're, you're trusting a freshman to make the, the throw there is, is saying something, too, on a night that Chase, Chase had a great night all around. But that was part of his night. That's right. That was part of his, and a big part of his night. Yeah. All right, with the game tied at 20, uh, a really well-executed two-minute drive at the end of regulation. Jake Oldroyd gets his first of two opportunities to win the game. Uh, the first in the closing seconds of regulation, it's a left hash kick. Left hash kick, which is, which is what he prefers. And, he's, and to his credit, he's comfortable anywhere. If you ask him during a game, go, yeah, left is good. You know, and, and he does prefer that slightly or left middle. Um, and, yeah, he just, he just pulled the ball across a little bit. It's good snap, good hold, good protection. And, uh, and I thought he swung through with confidence. He just, he just missed it. Okay, then in overtime, Baylor field goal miss. Uh, this is the first one. This is, I guess, the end of regulation, right? Yes. Uh, the left hash, yep. So, pulls just a little left. Then in overtime, there's a Baylor field goal miss, and that Jake gets another look. This time he's between the hashes. Was that intentional? Um, yes. Yeah, we, we set it up. We figured uh, left to, to left middle. Um, or, you know, it, like I said, in, in his case, if, if our best play is going to put it on the right hash on third down, then we don't, we don't worry about um, okay. which hash it's going to be on. Okay, uh, Lopini Katoa scored a touchdown, no two-pointer, and the defense had to win the game basically in the double overtime, and that's exactly what happened. They get, they get down to a fourth down. I think it was 11 plays they snapped in their second. Yeah. From, you get the ball to 25, 11 plays later, they're, trying to, they're, 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 they're on a fourth down. Yeah, making them, making them earn it there. Uh, defensively, they were making them earn it, and, and offensively, they were being smart and, and uh, keeping the ball on the ground, not risking a turnover in that situation. They had a lot of confidence in their run game, as they should have, and we had the advantage of, of our student section at our mm -hmm. end. We... Now, there was a reason when Baylor had the choice, the option in the first overtime of which end zone to play the overtime period in, there's a reason they chose away from the student section. Yep. So just getting the tie in that first section 
of Overton. Put it back. Yeah. Our, our whole sideline understood, okay, now we're going into the student section. Great point. Yeah. Great point. Uh, so the fourth down pass sales over the end line, it's, uh, it's, it's jubilation, it's exaltation. Uh, a little relief. Jake was relieved, right? Jake Oldred, I think. is, And, and there was a, a scene of Jaron Hall with Jake on the sidelines. You know, and after that, there's a lot of emotions Jake's feeling, and he's just so happy that things turned out the way they did, and, and Jaron's letting him know. What's he letting him know there, and what are you guys letting him know in the locker room? Yeah, I think they were letting him know it the whole time, but this, this was a special moment. I got home, um, you know, whatever it was, sometime after 1 o'clock, and uh, my wife Sarah had it. Uh, the television frozen on this moment, mm. and it's not uncommon for her to kind of rewatch things because she gets excited about it too. But she wanted to show me this moment, and it was it was emotional for me to see it. It still is at this point because we know what Jake uh, puts in, and we know how many games he's won for us. And then to see to see that kind of pain is just it's hard. How do you feel about him moving forward, getting his next opportunities, even as soon as this weekend? Uh, he's our best kicker. He's proven that. Um, we, don't, we don't make decisions anywhere on this team. We don't base uh, long-term decisions on short-term results. And so the, the competition is, it will, will and always has been open. It was open last week. It's open this week. But uh, as of right now, he's, he's our best kicker, the best man to, to kick the field goals at any given moment. Well, certainly. I and mean, I wasn't calling into question anything about that as much as how do you feel like he – is he steeled? Is he he's like, you know what, I, I want another kick really quickly. Like, is, is that kind of his mindset? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. yeah I, th I think uh, – I mean, he was that way in the game. And the, and the overtime periods, the way they transpire, we were done kicking at that point. It was going right. to go to all the two-point uh, conversion attempts. But, um, yeah, I, I think he can't wait for his next opportunity. Awesome. All right. Uh, Special teams MVPs for you on this game. Yeah, we had uh, we had some some guys that really rushed the punt really well, and uh, they just brought a physicality. We didn't get a punt block, but we came very close a few times. Love the way Houston Haymuli, Carter Wheat, and uh, really rushed the punt. Ethan Slade did a really nice job in the coverage uh, portion, and so he got our top rock, which usually goes to a coverage player. Top block was Houston and, and Carter Weed, and then special teams player of the game was Austin Riggs for his, his uh, really fine job he did on snapping. All right, long snapper Austin Riggs. Good stuff from all. And then the defensive players of the game came in from Coach Eli Satuiaki, and, uh, and his defensive players of the game were what he calls the no-name defense, like a group, and then the rock at the end. Yeah, yeah and that and throughout, really, actually. Yeah, it really does start with the up front with the no-name uh, defensive line you know everybody's major concern it seems like always well how many sacks are you going to get that there were so many highlights including the last one that you've shown a few times it wasn't a sack but we had two rushers and what we call frontal rush and it's a selfless technique you know it's easy to run the edge and look like a great pass rusher and run right by the quarterback it's difficult to take on 600 pounds two or 300 pound linemen and push them both back into the quarterback and we had two guys on that play do that Blake uh Blake Magnuson got right up in the quarterback's face. That's what forced the ball up high and over the end zone. Okay, thank you, Coach. Time for a break. When we come back, we'll look ahead to BYU and Oregon for a quick moment with Coach Ed Lamb as we take a break. We'll remind you that for your daily Cougar Sports play-by-play, -play, tune in to BYU Sports Nation, Noon Eastern on BYU TV and BYU Radio. More of the Coordinator's Corner brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys, and it's coming up right after this. Coordinator's Corner on BYU-TV is brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys, Built Bar, Fuel the Journey, and by Siegfried & Jensen, helping Utah families for over 30 years. 
You're in the coordinator's corner, brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys, wrapping up with BYU special teams coordinator, safeties coach, and assistant head coach at Lamb. 12th and 14th ranked BYU at 25th and 24th ranked Oregon this Saturday. And uh, Oregon comes in on a 20-game home win streak, a 29-game, I think, non-conference home win streak. You've been in there with uh, some of your teams in the past, and the environment's pretty special, isn't it? It is special, yeah, and, and when I was coaching uh, there previously, both times it was the University of Idaho, so different experience to, to come in with a strong uh, BYU team. I feel like we have every chance to um, play well and, and uh, stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with a great football team in a great environment. And we'll find out a lot more about Oregon in particular. They've played Georgia, which is tough, and they've played an FCS team, so we'll see where they stack up against a top 15 BYU team on Saturday. Good luck in prep this week. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you back here next week. All right, that'll do it for uh, Coordinator's Corner, week number three on the season. For coaches Roderick and Lamb today, my name is Greg Grubel. Thanking you for tuning in. Have a great week, and go Cougs. We'll see you next week.